it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. Hi, I'm Brews News Editor Matt Kirkegaard, and that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer and the brewing industry and have a conversation with the people who make the industry what it is and also see what we can learn about them. This week, we have something a little bit different from our usual roster of brewery owners and brewers as we meet B. Derbidge, one of the founders of Bolter Brewing Company. Bolter is sometimes, and I think unfairly, referred to as the surface brewery on account of the four very visible faces who were behind the business at the beginning. While the profile of the surfers undoubtedly helped garner some attention and stand out in the increasingly crowded market when it launched, the drinks industry is littered with brands that failed despite much more evident star power. I always thought there was a little bit more to Bolter that saw it accepted by beer drinkers hardcore knowledgeable craft drinkers and also casual beer drinkers alike that always intrigued me. Even more so seeing how the brand has continued to grow in sales and credibility even after its 2019 sale to CUB and I think this year's Hottest 100 really continues to demonstrate that. I first got some inkling into what I thought might be the DNA of the business when in early 2019 I was invited to a business breakfast at which Bede happened to be a guest speaker. I don't know about you, but I normally find business breakfast with sporting identities the most tiresome of events. This one was different. Bede was an engaging speaker who told a fascinating tale of a talented but not exceptional surfer and the bumpy ride that he had faced in competing at the highest level on the World Surfing Tour. It was a presentation that didn't show off, it showed wit, insight and humility and it was one that I always hoped that I could capture in some way as part of a podcast. When I was speaking to Mick Fanning for the Hottest 100 podcast in January he mentioned that Bede was working on the packaging line at Bolter and I found that fascinating. With all that he'd achieved and Bolter's success it surprised me that one of the famous founders would be working in such a role. I also wondered whether it went some way to explaining a little bit about that Bolter DNA. As you'll hear in this podcast, I get to ask Bede about the story that he told at that breakfast in 2019, but then also dig a little bit deeper for myself. What you'll hear is one of those very selfish conversations that I get to have from time to time, but that you also get to listen in on. I'd be very interested to hear your thoughts, both whether you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did, but also whether you agree that it gives a little bit of insight into the threads that made Bolter the successful brewing company that it was. Enjoy. B. Derbidge, welcome to Beer as a Conversation. Oh, thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. Mate, it's an absolute pleasure. This has been a long-awaited chat uh, because, as I said in the intro, I heard you speak at a breakfast. That was in the in the before times, in the pre-COVID times, so I can't even remember now when that was. But (laughs) I've been wanting to uh, talk to you about that. So maybe um, that's where we can start. Just tell us a little bit about you know the 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 B Derbage story and you know before Bolter, before beer, how you came to be a, a surfer. Yeah, no, I guess going way back, you know, 
growing up at uh, North Strawbrook Island and yeah, just fall in love with the ocean from such a young age and uh, all my siblings surfed and dad surfed and basically everyone just surfs at Stratty. So um, yeah, fell in love with the ocean very quickly and then um, yeah, happened to be pretty good at surfing and going down the competition route and uh, started traveling and um, yeah, still finished my schooling over there. But, and then going to um, Cleveland High the last couple of years in high school because Stratty um, finishes before that. But yeah, just um, lived that lifestyle of surfing and uh, school. And, and I played um, rugby league as well when I was younger. That was really fun as well. How does it work as a, as a young surfer? So, you know, obviously as kids, you, they're, they're competitions that you sort of do on a, like a, on a grommet level where it's just sort of young um, age-based competitions, is it? Yeah, no, it's... Um, Oh, well, I've kind of got into like you have local board riders with uh, that's kind of how you get into competitive part of surfing. So uh, ours is called Point Lookout Board Riders. So yeah, just basically it's just fun with your mates and you put a comp rashi on and you get judged, but it's more just fun and you want to just beat your friends. But and then when you get a bit older, if you're okay at it, at it you'll start going to like the regional titles and then state titles and Aussie titles and world titles um but yeah it's sort of um just starts like a community-based sport at the start and then um if you happen to be all right at it you can start like chasing down your dreams and i guess when i was coming through we just happened to be like a crazy era of like good queensland surfers that yeah kind of ended up going on to like Joel and Mick won world titles but you just don't even know that when you when your kids and surfing you're just like surfing against another 12 14 year old but you happen to be the best in the world it was a pretty crazy era in surfing so you, you're all contemporaries you're all about the same age when you were coming up through this level um Mick and Joel are two years older than me and uh Josh if we're talking about the Bolter crew he's a year younger so um, but yeah basically all around the same and we're all at the same contest and have known each other for a long time. How old are you when you start coming to the attention of sponsors that you know and, and I presume that it just starts that you know they, they sling you some boards and some wetsuits and, and that sort of thing? Yeah it starts pretty young um, I think I was around 13 maybe when I got sponsored off Billabong uh i was yeah just the happiest kid in the world you know um our family didn't have lots of money so i was kind of living in hand-me-downs from other uh friends in the community so yeah to get a um a pack off um billabong was pretty damn good and um yeah i don't know just walking around in yeah new billabong clothes is just a kid's dream <laughs> and i'll come to the significance of that a little bit later so you you obviously made your way up through the state um titles and the national titles and how, how old were you when you go professional and actually start on on the professional circuit making a living from uh surfing yeah yeah it's sort of uh for me it was around uh, when i finished school actually so i would have been 17 uh i've yeah, I remember finishing year 12 and then um, getting a contract off Billabong to, yeah, start doing like the world qualifying series and like you get a retainer and basically, yeah, you can pay for your travel and I was still living at home with mum and dad. So, um, but yeah, it's expensive to go around the world and hire cars and um, what, like accommodation and all that. So, yeah, uh, entry fees and stuff like that. So, 
yeah, just when I finished school and then, and then it kind of, um, yeah, just kept ramping up from that. But, uh, yeah, but safe Mick and Joel, they were even younger. Like, um, they were getting, um, like having sponsors almost fight over them when they were younger. So, um, yeah, kind of different for everyone. But yeah, by the time you're around 15, like, yes, yeah, more well, it's different now. The sports changed a lot, but in our era, sort of, um, sponsors would be kind of earmarking people that they kind of were going to hedge their bets on to, um, invest in and, and yeah, kind of, um, double down, I guess, to, yeah, obviously they want sales, but they're going to invest in that surfer to, yeah, try and bring home a world title for them. Okay. And were you one of those surfers that they wanted to invest in or were you? Um, I was, yeah, they invested in me, but not so much as much as them. Um, I guess. Like I was pretty, pretty good, but I kind of didn't have the profile as much as those guys are in, um, yeah, a lot more in magazines and movies and stuff. And, um, <laughs> I, I was still living at Stratty, but I moved down, uh, when I was 20. I kind of knew that I was kind of had to, yeah, make the move and, um, move to Corumban and, uh, invest in my future and, yeah, um, kind of be around them more and photographers and filmers and, um, yeah, and my and my board shaper at Mount Woodgee and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, really had to kind of yeah work a little bit harder, I guess. In um, and I and I just didn't have as much talent as those guys. Like, I had, I had talent, but those guys are freaks, you know. And um, yeah, I, I they kind of push my surfing, which is interesting because you know I I can only think of I was never a highly competitive, uh, you know, gifted athlete in any level, but I was twenty and you know. I didn't save a lot of money. A lot of money went on uh, what I would describe as lifestyles. So <laughs> what was it like being, you know, like a 20-year-old a or in, in your early 20s surrounded by, you know, this lifestyle that has, uh, you know, a, a bit of money and you're traveling mm. and you're in glamorous locations and you're being celebrated and fated, but at the same time balancing that with being in a highly competitive sporting uh, career? Yeah, it's definitely tricky. Uh, like sometimes you get caught up in like, the elements of that and um yeah go to all the parties or um just not have the discipline and and yeah just i don't know not not keep up on your training or and put the time in and but uh yeah i don't know i was kind of had to work for a uh, bit so i was always pretty disciplined and um yeah made decisions to yeah say no to things and um invest more in into like yeah buying a house and more just stable stuff to, yeah, follow my dream. I guess more just that purpose. I'd always just keep coming back to that. Like that was always my dream was to, to get on tour and be a pro surfer and um, chase down my dreams and go after a world title. So, um, but it was definitely tempting to <laughs> get caught in the rip and go have a lot of fun. And not to say I didn't have a lot of fun, but yeah, it was tempting just to not not worry because there's so many surfers that go and try and get spat out the other side and um yeah don't make a career of it and have lots of debt and stuff like that so yeah you kind of had to be pretty focused but that in itself again was something that stood out about the way you told the story um at the breakfast that i was at because you seem to be very mature in in, mm. in your look for that you know in realizing that what you had wasn't going to go on forever um and you know who knew how long it was going to be on but you, 
you, you save for a house and yeah. those sorts of things. And I, I think you were married by that stage. So how old were you when you married? Uh, oh, a little bit older. I got married at 24, but okay. um, yeah, met Taryn at 21. So yeah, um, I think that was a big thing as well. Like, yeah, getting a girlfriend and having to be accountable to someone and um yeah i know she's always yeah pushed me and um my like anything i care about really and my dreams and um yeah kind of really just help me focus and keep on track for things that are more meaningful but that in itself is it, 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 again I, i'm looking at the, the bolter story through the prism of the uh people who yeah, yeah. Were, were, were part of it and there, there there's, was a maturity about the way you talked about that because we see you know sporting life is littered with people that sort of make a lot of money at a young age mm-hmm. um and just assume i i guess that there will always be something uh, around the corner to, to, to keep them going and it doesn't sound like that was your approach no yeah you're dead right because it, it kind of comes fast and quick like when you do start getting successful so yeah, well, like they always say, easy come, easy go. So it's pretty easy to, yeah, to spend all your money and have a lot of fun. But yeah, I, I know I always like um, strategizing and thinking about the future and um, yeah, putting a few eggs in different baskets and whatnot. So uh, yeah, I got, I don't know. I guess it's kind of just ingrained in me to do that, and yeah, through my own family, I guess, or um, yeah, I don't know. It's but. Yeah, it's, it's, it could be so easy just to <laughs> not do that and just um, spend it all and not worry about it too. So I think it's, yeah, I don't know, maybe just that um, upbringing, what I've seen works and, and, yeah, I guess that discipline as well. But again, that's interesting because part of the story, uh, and, and I'll let you tell it, but uh, there was a point where after a couple of years on the circuit, um, you, you, your sponsors had a mid-year meeting with you. Tell us a little yeah. bit about that. Yeah, that was, um, oh, it was really tough. Like, How old were you at this stage? How uh, long that was when I was 23. I was, uh, yeah, 23 or 22. Uh, it was only my second year on tour. And yeah, I was, I don't know, just like thought I was going pretty good. Uh, yeah, I was already made a couple of quarterfinals, I think it was. And, and yeah, I remember going into uh, my contract was up with Billabong and, and I thought, oh yeah, that like, I'll probably just get it renewed for the same kind of amount of money. And I knew I could yeah, pay the bills and mortgage and whatnot. And, uh, yeah, went in there and yeah, they came out with a totally different, um, yeah opinion on it and they just basically said yeah if i don't win a comp uh then yeah they're gonna have to let me go so i was like nearly oh that was 10 years with them so i was just and this was halfway through the season yeah this was halfway through the season i was just so gutted and just devastated you know um yeah just getting told that and um when you think something else so it took me a little while to um kind of come to grips with it and accept it uh but then i was like well yeah fair enough it's big like it's a business and they're gonna invest in things they um and they already had a lot of other surfers on their books and um they were going pretty well so i was like all right well time to yeah knuckle down and and um yeah try and uh try my arm at yeah getting on the podium and winning a event and uh, i remember having a like just 
training so hard and just doing all these I have visions things. like th- th- this is the bit that in the uh, B Derbidge story it's like <laughs> one of those rocky montages yeah, where yeah. you've been delivered the you know we're going to cut you and then it's yeah. sort of suddenly you know carrying logs up hills getting ready for, for to, to yeah. show them that you can do it yeah pretty much yeah I remember just being up in the dark every day and down the beach um, with my uh, shape of Wayne and and then training as well like uh, fitness training as well during the day as well so surfing and training just dedicating every day all my whole day basically um leading into the comp in california at trestles and i just went over there just on a mission and um ended up winning it like yeah beating kelly slater my um hero and um which i didn't even think would be possible and end up taking out their comp and i was just on top of the world just like won my first event thought i was renewing my contract and then, yeah, finding out, we went back and had another meeting with them. And they're like, oh, we didn't think you'd actually be able to do that. <laughs> um, we were just saying that. And we actually don't even have you in our budget. I'm just like, you are kidding me. Um, so that, <clears throat> I thought rock bottom they, well, I was They before. thought that they could sort of say, look, you know, we'll, yeah. we'll put it on you. But yeah. with no expectation that you'd be able to yeah. deliver. Yeah, no, exactly. So... Um, yeah, it's funny how, yeah, things like that work, but, uh, yeah, ended up still, yeah, just so gutted, you know, but, um, yeah, that took even longer to accept. And I remember just losing every heat after that, actually, until the end of the year, because I was just like, I don't know, normally you get told something and, um, if you do it, you kind of, that kind of happens, but not in that case. So I was just super gutted. Um, but ended up, yeah accepting it getting on with it understanding that's business and um yeah not i'm so grateful for it now but it's kind of really kick-started me into even being a better surfer and then i just went on a rampage the next the whole next year and i just my rake uh ranking went through the roof it's funny because that's the line that i remember you delivering the the, the first time i heard that story was i'm grateful for it now and mm. you know th- th- there is obviously well i'm presuming that there's an element in you know, high-performing people that have the ability to frame things that mm. are potentially negative and not dwell on them. Yeah, no, for sure. That's definitely the catalyst of it. And but it's at the time, it's so hard, you know, because you're just so <laughs> so bummed and you're blaming everyone and this and that. But at the end of the day, you've like if you don't accept it, you can't move on. And so I had to accept it, um, understand it, and and then yeah, and then turn it in. Yeah, that adversity into an advantage and yeah just never looked back really after that and just worked I just did what I did when I won the comp just turned that kind of into my um, routine for the rest of my career really. Remember so. you had to sit down at the end of that season you had to sit down with Taron and yep. sort of say well this is what I think I can do next year and you mortgaged yeah. your house yeah. to, yep. to f- finance the first half of the the, yep. the season to, to see if you could actually get a sponsor yeah so i had to get an extra 50 grand on put it on the mortgage and um just because i didn't have the income coming in and it was lucky the start of the um tour back then started in australia so i knew the first couple of comps would be in australia and um yeah went ended up like the first event which is on the gold coast at snapper ended up making the final um actually to mix so but like straight away i was like already second in the world and 
and um, made some good money to um, yeah kickstart that that year of um, travel and funds, you know. So kind of just backed myself and and it yeah paid off. And did you get a sponsor? So yeah, did, did you ever hear from Billabong after that? Nah. <laughs> oh, they they kind of knew what happened, and but um, like they kind of yeah the people that kind of made it happen were a little bit sheepish around me but um but after time it kind of wore off and then indirectly I got sponsored off one of their other brands um XL down the track so it kind of they kind of tried to make um wrong right I guess um in the end but yeah I like I hold no grudges so I'm just yeah grateful for the 10 years before that so but um yeah end up getting another sponsor um and lots of other different sponsors too so it kind of yeah just had to go through a bit of um or well, not i wouldn't call it hardship but more just a bit of time where i had to yeah just work harder and be smarter in decisions and um and yeah but it just reshaped my life better anyway so yeah i don't know it's it could have went either way though at the time now you, you told a story you know Kelly Slater is, you know, by everything that I've heard, just an absolute freak of nature, like the, the way that he surfs. But at the same time, he was pretty good on the gamesmanship, yeah. um, you know, <laughs> that he didn't just rely on, on on his skill. He tried to leave nothing to chance because you were... Uh, tell a story about when Taron was on tour with you. Oh, when, yeah. He's, um, yeah he's, a, he's a master at mind games as well as how good he surfs. He's, yeah, 11 times world champion, but... Yeah, he's really good at getting inside his competitors' um, brains. So, yeah, I, I wasn't expecting it my first year on tour. And I remember sitting at J Bay and getting ready for the quarterfinal and sitting there with Taron. We'd only been together for not too long, like a year or so. Um, and he comes up and goes, Oh, it starts talking about this girl that he knew that he knew I knew. And it's like, Oh, how's she going? Um, have you have you seen her lately? And I'm like, what the <laughs> hell? And Taryn's like, what's who's this girl he's talking about? I'm like, oh my god, I can't believe what he just did. And then yeah, just walked off. And then I was just rattled. And Taryn's asking, who's this girl? <laughs> had to explain. It was like, yeah, how did, how did you met. go? How and did then, you go in that round? And then he just paddled out and just schooled me. And I had the biggest <laughs> shocker. Oh, he's yeah, he just got me good and. Um, I don't think uh, I surfed against him until that next final in, at Trestles the year after. So I was, I was ready for him the second time. <laughs> I just didn't go anywhere near him and um, stayed away from him. He was probably looking for me actually to try and say something else, but I knew I knew what he was um, his tactics were. So I I just saw him out in the water and just stayed away from him. <laughs> uh, now you, you never cracked uh, the big one. You never took home the, the the title, but you did get to number two. You were still surfing competitively and very competitively when the whole Bolter um, yep. journey started. And Bolter had opened when you had your injury, your, your, yep. your career-ending injury. Do you yep. want to, We might finish off the surfing and then go to Bolter. So um, t- tell us about that because it was, a, it was a pretty horrific end to your career. Yeah, in 2015, uh, yeah, we'd already like uh, formed Bolter like um, – but we hadn't actually made beer yet. Um, and, yeah, it was the end of the season. I think I was coming 11th at the time. 
and I was just that was my goal for the year was to get uh, in the top ten. I um, we had one child by then, and it's a bit harder on to I found it a lot harder with children, so I was like, if I can get top ten, this is going to be a great result. And I only had to make that heat and paddled our pipeline, and um, yeah, just got absolutely annihilated on my first wave, and yeah, had um, got slammed into the reef and uh, broke my pelvis, had an open book pelvic fracture, and um yeah ripped my abs off the bone and yeah heaps of internal bleeding it was horrific i like, probably should have given a look away children <laughs> yeah <laughs> when, when you tell because it oh, makes me cringe just hearing yeah, about it. it was so bad and oh this is horrific um it was so bad and um but ended up yeah getting rushed off to hospital and um or not till after 40 minutes lying on the beach with no painkillers that was the worst part but um yeah ended up getting surgery straight away emergency surgery and yeah i was in a wheelchair for a couple of months and um yeah four months no walking um had to learn how to walk again i was just a, a whole different experience in itself and um but ended up making a yeah full recovery and i actually went back on tour for one one year after just to kind of just for closure basically of um just knowing that i could surf and um yeah have that final year but at the time like the doctors were like oh i don't know i kept just asking when can i surf and they're like oh i don't know <laughs> go and ask another doctor <laughs> but um yeah no it was a crazy experience so yeah just um super uh grateful to just have my health that was the most important thing at the time so outside of Bolta. In the uh, COVID-affected Olympics, you were the coach of the Australian surfing team. Yeah. Um, what What else have you done outside of the the, the brewing industry? Um, yeah, and then in that year in 2016, that's how I got into surf coaching. Um, John John Florence actually asked me to coach him because he knew I was injured that whole year and uh, when I was doing my rehab and yeah, like he's a very talented surfer and um, so he kind of made my job a bit easier, but um at the the year before i think i actually beat him on tour so um he knew i was like really strong in the tactical side of surfing and strategies and whatnot and where he had all the talent but lacked that so um yeah i worked with john um as his coach and um yeah he ended up work uh winning the world title that year and yeah got his first world title so like that kind of made me fall in love with coaching and um and then that's how i got the job as surfing australia and um as yeah the head coach for um the aussie olympic surf team so um yeah but other than that i've never like done a few things when i was younger but a little dabbled in a few different trades and concreting and what else tree lopping and stuff in, like that in, in <laughs> scotty hargrave there yeah 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 <laughs> but um but then yeah just kind of led me into this into the surf coaching side of things and still doing it now as well so no i really love it and it's a big passion of mine how did all of this feed into you being involved with bolter and getting started with three other surfers to create bolter because i think mm. you were sort of the catalyst for the four of you coming together initially yeah it's crazy thinking back you know it's um the main reason was yeah just to get free beer <laughs> i love <laughs> love beer i'm not gonna lie um 
and uh, you, yeah. you hide it well. I, I have to say, <laughs> yeah. like you certainly haven't gone to seed to seed since your professional sporting career finished. Yeah, I know. I've, yeah, lucky. I think high metabolism. So, um, but no, I was trying to stay health, healthy and active as well. So, but uh, yeah, just growing up at Stratty and um, uh, and then when I started traveling and visiting these different breweries around the world and. Um, yeah, I was just like, far out. That looks like the coolest um, kind of like vibe and culture and um, just everyone's really happy and like and it's sort of you don't just get wasted and just drink the beer to um, get drunk, you know. You kind of pair it with food and it just looks so fun and just totally different flavours and um, different styles and yeah, just kind of was, yeah, just really curious of it and um thought wow like stratty imagine putting a brewery at stratty like it'd be insane like especially on the holidays and and the water's so good you know it's purified through the sand natural springs it's um be so good over there and then started talking to josh kerr about it and um because he was involved with a um, brewery in san diego and remember in brazil asking him about it and like what goes into it what what kind of people you need and what's um like behind the scenes stuff and and then he's just like um giving me the rundown and then he i was like she's that's gonna be pretty hard to do it strategy logistic wise um and i was like it's gonna cost us so much money like it's gonna be on my own massive risk um and i don't know how to brew so um and then he's like why don't we do it um why don't why don't we do something together and do something on the coast it'll just be so much easier logistically and um it just yeah it just makes sense um and i was like yeah you're not right about that um yeah let's let's like start brainstorming and um yes yeah, start thinking how we can do it on the coast and then um yeah uh he's like oh, i got a good mate sean who's um good with startup companies he could help with the business side of things and why don't we ask mick and joel and i'm like sweet at that time i was flying to hawaii and i remember yeah being in the Qantas club um and asking mick and i was just so nervous i was shaking just going oh well what do you reckon about um yeah starting a brewery with us and were you good mates yeah. at that like yeah you, you yeah obviously knew each other oh yeah no real good mates yeah. known him since i was about 12 so but i don't know i just got i yeah just never really talked about um i don't know just i just get worried about asking people to i don't know i guess invest in things and um just yeah yep. i don't know it was just it was kind of just like an off topic kind of question i guess so i was a bit worried about that and he's like what do you mean that'd be amazing i'd love to do that um with you and i was like oh sweet um and then yeah we and then he's like oh you just give us a bit more of a rundown on the plan and told josh and i kind of did up this little powerpoint for him <laughs> but, um and then you did that yourself yeah oh josh did yeah um and then uh we asked joel as well um and joel's just like yeah that sounds amazing and we're all been such good friends for yeah what would that be like yeah 25 years or something uh, yeah 20 years 25 years or something like that so um yeah that everyone was the quickest yes ever but then we started building the team, obviously, with Stirls, um, 
Yeah, how, how did Stills come to be in it? Because you obviously knew yeah. him from Billabong. He yeah. wasn't one of the guys that sacked you from Billabong, was he? <laughs> no, he, he, no, <laughs> he was in the marketing luckily, team. Yeah, he didn't sack <laughs> me. But nah, Stills and I, really good friends. And um, But it was actually Mick's idea. He's like, oh, I reckon Sterling would be so good, even though he's not even sponsored off Billabong. But um, he's just like, oh, I just reckon he'd be a really good fit for this. And um, and then, yeah, Stills loves his craft beer and it just and he's a genius at his um, craft and... Um, so it just was perfect fit and he was just, yeah, he asked a few questions obviously as you do, but he was sh- straight in basically as well. Um, and then Aunt McDonald as well, who's still CEO now. And then, um, Scotty, which, um, yeah, as you know, like, yeah, you had a, um, hand in that and helping find him. And, um, Scotty was, yeah, definitely quite skeptical as he should be, um, to, yeah, come into into the play of being in the with bolter and um yeah just ask a lot of questions and like he's such a um artist scientist a bit of just creative genius so yeah he's just such an like he's basically like nickel joel you know he's a freak at what he does and um i just see him as like a world champion brewer because he (laughs) is and um but yeah he he had a lot to bring to the table so he's quite um yeah protective of that so yeah we um had to make him yeah earn his trust i guess in that we were going to do the right thing um and for the love of the beer and um yeah help him build his dream brewery and let him yeah just let his uh, expertise shine and yeah boy did it shine so it's um it's been amazing journey and then as a waters who yeah built all the brewery and he's got the eye for detail of um the aesthetic stuff so um yeah basically that was the team to start kick it off and then um but it didn't start for like 18 months i think it was till um scotty or people customers drank beers but we got to taste a few of scotty's um beers from his jl as you probably know is um his garage the um, jackie lounge yeah yeah, yeah. so <laughs> um yeah that was yeah such a special treat you know just being a part of that and that's still my favorite part of the whole brewery today is if scotty's got something um brewing in the the little um tanks out the back and the pilot system um if he gives gives you a taste of that it's like i don't know i just feel like money can never buy that experience that's always my favorite thing there are a lot of breweries that start with celebrity endorsement or celebrity involvement or, you know, celebrities that think, you, like you did, this would be a great industry. How cool would it be to own a brewery? Yeah. What was it that made Bolter different? Different Because, you know, everyone says that was the beer, but, mm. you know, a lot of breweries make good beer and still don't do what Bolter's done. Yeah, no, you, yeah, you're spot on there. It's I guess it's, yeah, a combination of things. Obviously, the beer, like, everyone's going to, drink one and if it's not good they're not going to buy another one so definitely the beer but yeah obviously sterling and his expertise with the marketing but then like aunt mcdonald is the ceo and just how good he he can um, navigate that world and um yes yeah, you know it's a tough industry and um yeah there's a yeah, it's one thing getting the beer out there and um but then getting paid and paying all the bills and um yeah and doing it again and again it's super difficult and um yes yeah, so those factors and then having a nice 
home to come to, like where we're sitting here today, like I call it the clubhouse, but it's <laughs> it's the tap room. So, um, yeah, that's another big thing because everyone wants to see where it's made. Um, and then <clears throat> I guess as our kind of part, the surfers, is, um, was just the network and also, um, yeah, just like I feel like we're all really real people and, um, yeah, it's sort of like we've just helped enhance it. We haven't like, um, yeah, promoted the hell out of it. Like it's all organic kind of marketing outside of things and, um, yeah, it's just like, yeah, just a big combination and, and then also timing, you know, as well as, um, it just was good timing when craft beer was where it was at back then and where it is that now. And yeah, so lots of those factors, but yeah, we knew it was some tough times as well along the way and yeah, reaching into the, um, mortgage again and yeah, it's like all our savings and stuff like that. So yeah, it was some, tough times along the way I'll, I'll 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 pick that up but how involved were the, the force i mean it's everyone knew that it was a surface brewery but it was never just a surface brewery you know no. when you've got people like scotty involved but how involved were the four of you in the the the, the look and the feel and the aesthetics mm. um yep. uh, as you're pulling it all together yeah at the for the first those first um 18 months we were in involved in everything um basically and then yeah then when we started like still involved a lot um until the team got bigger just because there was no staff you know so everyone had to um chip in and do whatever they could and when we first rolled out the beers like um yeah we went and did dropped all the first kegs off to all the um different uh venues and said like thanks for like supporting us and having us on the taps and we're still in there today which is amazing you know like the support we've had um from some of the venues and same at some of the bottle shops like yeah we just kind of um yeah we were very hands-on for those first couple of years and um until like the team got bigger and grew and i remember like I'm actually working in still now on the canning line. We'll um, come to that. Yeah, I mean that's but, an interesting story of itself. Yeah, but back then when we had the old canning line, like um, if there was big dramas and um, breakdowns, or we got stuff sent back, like we all had to come here, and some t- nights we'd be here at like twelve o'clock at night, like trying to just chip in and do what it took because yeah, just didn't have like. Um, the the staff or didn't have the resources and the money at the time and like anyone knows when you when you, when you're a startup business it's yeah it's the hardest thing ever like basically um yeah you just got to do whatever it takes and that's probably another thing as well like actually someone said that the other day is like no oh, it was actually Ginjal is he was um, asked someone what they thought oh, what like what do you reckon is successful was um it was his Bruce wife Gingell or oh david Gingell. Oh, david Gingell, sorry david yeah, it was yeah. his wife um layla and um yeah what what do you think like how do you think these all these guys made it like what do you reckon one of the biggest things and she's like oh it's not easy to work out they're the most determined competitive people i've ever seen so she's like how could it fail they'll just do whatever it takes. but And and that's what I really wanted to, to dig into because, you know, you're four very competitive people. As we heard the Kelly Slater yeah, story, yeah. you know, he doesn't mind getting inside your head. You know, yeah. 
from the outside, it's all sunshine and light and, you know, onwards and upwards and Bolter always did well. But were there any times of doubt and conflict where the four of you were sort of uh, wanting to pull at different directions? Because four mates going into a business is, yeah. sounds good up until the challenges. Yeah. No one ever wanted to, like, get out. But, um, oh, there was definitely heated conversations and, <laughs> um, not you know, in a healthy way. Yeah. But just when, yeah, people will have a different opinion or they don't think it should go that way. But, um, but yeah, it's just like any business and you work through those things and, um, and you kind of have to just keep going back to like, um, yeah, what's, what's the main, um, like goal or purpose, you know, and what do we want out of it and, um, and how do we want to, yeah, how do we want to be perceived and, like keep that integrity of the brand so um yeah we just yeah we'd always work through it and just be open about things i guess i mean it still does tell the stories of the weeks when you're not sure how you're going to make payroll and yeah. things like that early on because you know it's a, it's a very capital intensive business mm. it takes a lot of money and you've got a lot of money that you're owed and a lot of money yeah. that you owe and yeah. uh, not much in the bank account during those early days you know what what was that like you know what was oh. it what you expected it was going to be uh yeah because yeah obviously everyone's got different amounts of money and for me personally and my family it was definitely a stretch and yeah there was times you know when you just keep chipping in and um and yeah i remember just like well, i was still lucky i was on tour at the time um and i was like i can't actually put my share in unless i do well in this contest so it was kind of motivated me to do well and um make a couple of finals and but yeah, it was really stressful. Yeah, for for most of us, it was um, yeah, like just as everyone knows, with that's involved in a brewery, like just the excise tax and how yeah, people don't pay for ninety days and whatnot. And so you got to have a pretty decent kitty going. And and if you want to grow, that's the scariest part. Is like because um, if you kind of stay small, it's a bit easier. But if you're trying to grow at the same time and buy equipment, it's yeah, it's, you're on a knife's edge a lot of the time. And, you know, there's so many figures, you know, when a, when a business sells. But in terms of the return you got from all that you put into it, you know, what was it life-changing, you know, result yeah. for you for, for, for having built something that's, you know, so strong? Yeah, definitely. It's, um, it'll definitely, um, yeah, help our family and, and pay off a lot of debts. Um but uh, yeah, when you say life changing, I think um, it depends what you see as life changing. But definitely, um, it will make our life better. But for some people, it could make it worse. So um, yeah, I think it was a like anything. It's a bit of a gamble. It's an educated gamble, but um, but it wasn't an easy road. That's for sure. What did your career on the world surfing tour and and everything you learned through that? you know high level competition what what did you bring to bolter um from that um i think for me probably just like the uh the connection i guess the human connection and um yeah just that um uh yeah and probably just connecting everyone and different elements and um and keeping like the fun and the um, positivity of um yeah of what like 
yeah the culture i guess and brings brings together a group of people and um i don't know I, i'm just yeah and the passion i guess so i think maybe that's what i brought to the table i don't know it's <laughs> going to be um yeah be interesting to ask other people i guess but yeah i don't know i hope it i brought something to the table <laughs> what did you take away from the experience what what was what, what, what did you learn from the process of putting together a company like this uh definitely i guess empowering people in their roles and trusting people in their roles um and letting them their expertise i guess like if you're controlling or um you had a big ego it would just wouldn't work <laughs> because there's just too many um like too many um like experts in one room and if yeah and if people weren't allowed that freedom and um yeah they just wouldn't work it'd just be <laughs> clashing the whole time now you did mention that you, you like you're working the canning line which is yeah. often the entry level position in a in, in a yeah. brewery like this i presume you don't have to um yeah. what, what's got you you know keeping that hand um in in the business yeah i just love the culture of bolter and i felt uh like I was, yeah, last year I just didn't, I wasn't working so much and I'm working, I uh, started a new job with surf coaching this year, but I wasn't working a lot and um, just kind of missed like, yeah, just being around um, Bolter and like this infectious um, company and Ant, the CEO, just does such a good job like um, of just this culture and obviously there's other people that have breed it as well, but um yeah i just wanted to be back in it and and like you come in and you talk to everyone and you're kind of in but you're you're not in so i was just like i gotta gotta go and apply for a job and um and yeah it's um i'm i'm happy just to work with the packaging team and um i think they're a bit um scared at the start (laughs) thought i was undercover spy but um but now like it's been a few months and yeah they're just like really good mates and um yeah we just go for it and like they're just the hardest workers like um like it is at the entry level at at a brewery and but i just can't believe their work ethic just they just turn up day in day out and just like go so hard in the extra mile like stuff's always like stuffing up on there as you know how there's always um things breaking and need fixing and you just but they just get in and do it and and then everyone's just like so happy like you walk around everyone says hello to each other and uh, it's just a good place to be i i guess the last question to, to to finish up on is you know what what's next for bolter i guess you're you're three years into a five year sort of yep. burnout period yeah will it always be your baby or would, no matter yeah. what happens oh i th- yeah I, I i think about that a lot and i definitely get um worried about that um but it's so much bigger than me so um i can't like dwell on it but i I don't know that's why i work here as well like i wouldn't mind just yeah doing a day a week forever like (laughs) and i only live like three four minutes away so it's um yeah it's it's um nice to just come in and i don't know then i can get the discounts forever and <laughs> get free beer um so, so it was, it was yeah. what you dreamed right yeah the exactly <laughs> <laughs> the dream's still alive so um yeah i don't know i think uh yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens but i think it's pretty ingrained like 
the culture now and the ethos of the whole business and um yeah I, I feel like it's it'd be pretty hard to um to make it like go down a totally different track but I don't know if if I come here I'll be um doing my best to yeah keep it keep it the way it is oh let's hope you can do that B Durbage thank you very much for this conversation thanks Matt cheers for having me And that was Bede Derbidge. As I said, I would love to hear your thoughts. You can join in the Radio Brews News Facebook group if you'd like to share a little bit of your thoughts about it. If you like this conversation and you would like to help make sure that we can continue to deliver podcasts like this one, you can help us out. We are a small business, but we have a big reach in the brewing industry and we could use your support. If you're a business that wants to reach professional brewers and brewery owners, we think that we're the most targeted way to do that. We have the conversations that the brewing industry listens to. If you would like to be heard as well, give us a call. Shoot through an email to sam at brewsnews.com.au to find out how you can advertise on the podcast. If you're a listener, you can kick in a few dollars a month yourself and sponsor the show. You know the deal, cup of coffee, blah, blah, blah. Look down, you'll see a link in the show notes. You can also review us on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcasting service. It doesn't seem like a lot, but it really does help other people find us and also keeps us at the front of the Apple rankings. Or you can email us at, at producer at brewsnews.com.au to share your thoughts. We'll be back again this Friday with Bruise News Week, diving deeply into the news of the week. Until then, cheers. Cheers.